what happens after you die? Uh, you call this basic instructions before leaving Earth. Um, so to begin, I want you to picture your own death. Okay? Cheery topic to start with. And since we're just imagining here, we're picturing it, we can imagine whatever we want. So we can imagine something really good. So I figure the best way to go is charging the lines of battle, sword in hand, locked in mortal combat with my enemies, striking down foe after foe until finally, after defeating the last big bad guy, saving my family, I'm struck through with a sword and bleed out and die. That's the way to go. I mean, you guys might have imagined, you know, in a hospital with friends and family. No, no. no. So, after you die, in the best way you can imagine, what happens in that moment? Okay, this is fun. We get to talk about things that not a lot of people experience, but the Bible gives us at least enough to have some expectations. So, um, first of all, there's some false views here, what happens after you die. And uh, the first and, and saddest is just nothing happens. You're just dead and that's it. That's really sad. We don't want to even think about that. So we're not gonna, we're not gonna go there. The second false view is if you're a good little boy, you go to heaven. And if you're a bad little boy, you go to the other place. And that's not true for, not because nobody's bad or good, but because everyone's bad. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous except Jesus Christ. And so if we had to stand before the judgment seat of God based on our merits alone, we have no defense, we are lost, we are done for. Good people do not go to heaven, only those who perfectly fulfill the law do, or someone, or someone who has someone who is perfect to stand in their place. How can we be saved? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be saved. And so that is the dividing line between heaven and hell. And so, what happens after you die, you might say, and this would be accurate, but not as accurate as we're going to get today, that if you believe in Jesus Christ, Following him by the Spirit, you will have heaven as your reward. And if rejecting him, whoever does not believe in the Son, the wrath of God remains on him. Those who reject him after they die will go to hell. And that's true. And, and if that's all you know about this, that's probably fine, which is why people like stop there. But there's more to be said because 
There's more than that. And, and we, we see it in the text that we have today. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Why does that happen? When does that happen? Like you go to heaven and then you're like, oh, you have heaven. And then all of a sudden, okay, and now I have judgment. Like, oh, this is bad. It's like, remember all those bad things I did? You know? It's like before I, when I was killing those people, before I, I, I died. <laughs> And, and it's pretty clear that that judgment happens at a single point in time. And this is a bunch of places in the Bible. Acts 17, 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And so there will be a day of judgment, not like little individual days when people die. And then, and then what about this whole thing? They talk about the resurrection of the dead. And this is in 1 Corinthians 15, a very important text that we're going to interact with on and off. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. And here it means by sleep is our, our bodies dying. But we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. This is when Christ returns. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. And so how does the fact of going to heaven interact with here? So the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised. This is at some point in the future. That there is the resurrection of the dead, the thing we talk about in the Apostles' Nicene Creed. We believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. So how does that go with our simple like idea of like you gotta go, you know, believe in Jesus Christ, go to heaven. If you don't, you go to the bad place. It's an interesting here that the two of the most important texts on this doctrine were both written to the Corinthians. And the one is in the one that we have today. And the other is 1 Corinthians 15, which we won't get into detail, but if you want to research more, this is your mission for this week. Go read 1 Corinthians 15. And I think generally, and this is just thesis that we'll go through, is that 1 Corinthians 15 deals primarily with what happens to our bodies. And 2 Corinthians 5 deals primarily with what happens to our, you might call, spirit or, or essence. So, first of all, if you die as an unbeliever, like, don't do that. This is bad. We'll just go quickly through it. When you die as an unbeliever, you will face judgment. And in fact, before you face judgment, there is a kind of like nakedness of your soul that Paul kind of hints at in our text today. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. And here it's, 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 it's this concept of, of a soul that, is, that does not have a body is like naked in a way that is, 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 is bad. And it doesn't like you know, it's talking about things that are kind of hard to, like, grasp, but that's just what it says. Now, the Bible isn't specific what it is like for unbelieving souls before final judgment. But in the story of 
Lazarus, not the guy who came back from the dead, but the rich man in Lazarus, we get a picture and it is not good. And it's probably not like, I don't think this parable is like talking very specifically, but at least it gives us a general outline of how bad it is. And in Hades, this is the rich man who ignored Lazarus being in torment. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham torment. Yeah, that's bad torment. And saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And sent Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. So the unbeliever at death, their soul is separated from their body. They face pain and anguish in outer darkness. Awaiting for the resurrection of the unjust where they will face judgment for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil and this judgment is described in many places in the Bible but most starkly probably in Revelation 20 and I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were opened then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. It's like, man, it's like, think about it for a second. Like, there's a book there in heaven with the things I have done. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So... Separation from the soul, nakedness, resurrection of the body, judgment, lake of fire. And like, really, like, come to Jesus Christ and believe in him. Because it's not like God is, is out here saying like, hey guys, I'm just like waiting for people to burn. Like, no, he's giving all a chance to come to him. Not by anything that none of any of us can't do but by simply trusting in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like God, God is not even like asking like, hey, be a kind of good person. Like, no, he's saying only just put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will avoid the wrath to come. How simple it is and how easy it is and how few walk the narrow road that has the lightest burden in Jesus Christ. All right, so don't do that, okay? Don't just ignore Jesus, but trust in him. Because we get to have like hope. What happens after you die as a believer united to Christ by faith? And it's like, while the other one is all bad, like there's like nothing, hopeless darkness and terror. On the other side, it is like all good, okay? Now, so... Again, as a believer, now we can imagine that, that we die in some like wonderful way that we can imagine, you know, maybe storming through the lines of orcs with like arrows through my back at the battle of the Black Gate or less imaginary and even better at the, at the guillotine saying, I will not recant Jesus Christ. Or, I mean, you guys can imagine being at home surrounded by friends and family, but who wants that when they can have a guillotine? So, you close your eyes in death, and what happens? 
Well, as we, as we learned, like last week, we learned that this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so we look forward to unseen realities of heavenly reward. And so Paul continues that we know that if this tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now I think that Paul is in this text correcting a little bit of a mistake because I think the Corinthians, reading 1 Corinthians 15, kind of had thought like maybe like there's just like nothing in between the time when we die and that there is the resurrection from the dead. And here Paul is saying like, no, 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 no. Like your souls do not sleep. Like soul sleep isn't a thing. It is in my accounting, the dumbest doctrine ever to be supposed by any Christian ever. When you die, that if your earthly tent, and he calls it a tent, and like, man, how, how like passing are our bodies? They're like a fragile tent. Like tents are not very tough. I remember when I was a kid, I broke our tent. So there was a raccoon in the campground. This was in Southern Ontario. There was raccoons everywhere. And so I'm a 12 year old boy. And so what do I do? I get a big stick and I whittle a sharp point on it because I'm gonna kill the raccoon maybe roast it and so the raccoon comes up by the tent and I take my spear that I've made and I hurdle it at the raccoon missing by five feet striking a tree turning sideways ripping a three-foot gash in the side of the tent <laughs> which we had for another like 10 years and I got reminded of my stupidity for until I basically moved out of the house. And now I remind other people of my stupidity. <laughs> but he's saying, like, like this tent, like dying is not so bad because what we have now is a tent. And even before the resurrection of our bodies, when we die and are with Jesus, we have an eternal home that is immortal and good and solid and better than all. With Jesus, there is hope. For in this tent we groan. And now you might think groaning like, man, like there's a lot of groaning in life. But the groaning here isn't for like how tough it is right now, but even more so longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Like how good it will, will be if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. And so there's like not bare soul. We're not separate. We have like a solid existence we will be clothed in some way. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that the, we would be unclothed, but, this, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. I said the groaning and like the burden here is is the hardship and our longing and this is the encouragement the encouragement here what is mortal may be swallowed up by life and 
And this, this, this like flips on its head how we normally think about death. And I spent like, especially when I was a child, like I spent a lot of time like thinking about death and being afraid of it. And like death seems like a big black pit. People go in and they don't come out. And it feels like, like death is this thing waiting at every corner just to swallow you up like some sort of sea monster. And say the swallow here, this is like the same word for like a sea monster, like Jonah was swallowed up. And, and here Paul like flips on the head, it's like, no, as a believer, you don't get swallowed by death. The death in you, what is mortal, what is dying in you, gets swallowed up by life. And so we looked at death not just as this like thing that's like, like, like we're going to lose everything. No, we gain everything. Death does not defeat the Christian. The life in us defeats death. His encouragement is that he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. So, so what, what, what has he prepared us for? This very thing? This thing, I think, refers to the death of the life being swallowed up. It's like God is preparing, same thing as, as the, the affliction, which was preparing eternal weight of glory, the same word here. It is preparing. And... and God is preparing for us in two ways. And the, and the first here is simply like the fact that we are burdened and weak prepares us to make us long for the eternal in life. I think this is kind of one of, one of the reasons why like dying is kind of hard because we get old and getting old sucks. I mean, now that I'm really old and 42, I'm like, my body doesn't work as well as it used to. I know, I know, it's just, it's just, you know, it's gonna get a lot worse. But it gives us opportunity when we feel our weakness, when we feel our body slipping away, to long for, to hope for what is eternal instead of this tent that's getting ripped by dumb 12-year-old boys or other things. Secondly, we can know this because he's given us the Spirit as a, a guarantee, a down deposit, a, a, a deposit on, on the good, a pledge, like something that's very valuable to know that, that he's not going to renege, and it's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is this bit of, of, of life in us, eternal in God in us, that shows us that when we face that black pit of death, that life will swallow it instead of the other way around. Now, this begs the question, I think, is if the Spirit is a guarantee, and you could preach a whole sermon on this, probably sermon series on how do you know you have the Spirit. And the Bible never, in my estimation, points to a particular expression as the sign of the Spirit in every believer, but there's one thing that's always there. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. 
Experiencing God's love as Christ died for us, believing in Jesus, and then by the Spirit loving others. Which is why, like First John, it points to love as a test. Beloved, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The down payment of the eternal reality is the Spirit, and we can be confident He dwells in us when we experience God's love in us and flowing from us. So, what happens to a believer when they die? They're not swallowed up in death. But the life we now have in part in the spirit swallows up what is dead in us right now. And we know it's true because God has given us the spirit as a down payment, which we experience in part in the love which we now experience, of which we will have the fullness someday. Now, I already said that it's a little more complicated that we go to heaven because we still have to reckon with three more things. One, our bodies. Two, the resurrection of the dead. And three, judgment. And I said it's obvious from this verse and from the thief on the cross that all believers who die will immediately experience the blessing and privilege of Jesus Christ, having an immortal home and never die. But we remember that Paul already talked to the Corinthians and, and in Corinthians 15, and he compares dying to sleep. And so we kind of have to reckon with this a little bit. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And this gets to, at the coming of Christ, the dead will rise, and those who are alive will be changed, get spiritual bodies, and meet Christ in the sky. And those who die, their bodies will rise too, and their spirits, we will meet them and be with Christ as well. Paul speaks clearly about the resurrection. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in its own order, Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So all made alive at his coming. So, as we've already said, our souls don't go to sleep. And I think in our text, we have a solution to this problem of 1 Corinthians talking about us dying and then coming to life at Jesus' return and the imminence of being with the Lord. And it's in verses 6 to 8. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body... We are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And said, so, so we're at home in the body and away from the Lord. We walk by faith, so we trust that in, in the promises, but that we don't see. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Here Paul points to bodies as being a home. That our bodies are good and being separated from them is hard. But there's a better reality and that's to be present with the Lord. So absolutely, when a believer dies, our souls do not go to sleep. We can trust that our loved ones are with the blessedness of Jesus Christ. And when we die, we will be with them and we will join the great cloud of witnesses. But here, I think we can see the reconciliation between these two passages. Paul speaks of our existence at death being with the Lord, but we're separated from our bodies. 
And so 1 Corinthians 15 primarily deals with our bodies. Our bodies will, when we die, go into the ground where they will await to be resurrected on the last day. They sleep like Lazarus, not like the other story of Lazarus, like the story of Lazarus, who Jesus' friend, who dies for four days, whom Jesus calls his death sleep. But this text in 2 Corinthians deals with our spirits, which will be at home with the Lord, a real lively existence to enjoy fellowship with our Lord. But we'll still await the future fullness of the resurrection of our bodies to be like Jesus' glorious body. And so, for the believer, when we die, we go to heaven, have fellowship with the Lord, have a good and solid home as as the immortal swallows up death. And then we await Christ's return to earth, at which time will be the resurrection of the dead. He will give life to our mortal bodies, which we will be joined to. And I don't know how this happens, like whether the atoms like get like fused some way, like there's a lot of complications here, but I do know there's one model that we have for what resurrection will be like, and that's Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, the tomb was empty. And so whatever body that Jesus has was the re-livened, for lack of a word that exists to describe this, a re-livened body. And so in the same way, when we experience the resurrection of the dead, our, our bodies will be re-livened. Reanimated just sounds bad, so I'm going to say re-livened. To which... We will be with Christ's body, having a spiritual body like Christ's body. And we can expect this resurrection, whether our bodies are scattered ashes, eaten by worms, or cast into the sea. After the resurrection of the dead is the judgment. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We need not fear judgment here, but remembering it, we should seek to follow God. Trusting in Christ to pay the penalty for our sins, hoping with the perfect love which casts out fear by the Spirit's work in us, which is the deposit that we are God's children. And so we look forward to judgment where we'll be vindicated and rewarded according to the service that we render, which brings us back to 2 Corinthians 4.17. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We need not fear judgment, but we walk, in, we walk in our lives confidently knowing that Christ will work good in us. So what happens when we die? If you're an unbeliever, like, like don't, don't test that theory, okay? Come to Christ, and then, number one, immediately you're at home with Christ. Secondly, sometime in the future, we'll experience the resurrection of our bodies when Christ returns to have a spiritual body like Christ, 
Third, we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And then fourth, enter into our eternal reward according to the service that God works in us. Let's pray.